Hello and welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingue, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for joining us again today. I am Lisette Jacobson, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm your other host. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is Gabby Rivera, and uh, we are excited to have her. Gabby Rivera is a Bronx-born queer Puerto Rican babe on a mission to create the wildest, most fun stories ever. She is the first Latina to write for Marvel Comics, pinning the solo series America, about America Chavez, a uh, portal-punching queer Latina powerhouse. In 2017, Gabby was named one of the top comic creators by the Sci-Fi Network and one of NBC's uh, hashtag Pride 30 innovators. Gabby currently resides on the West Coast, California, no problem, <laughs> uh, in California, and hosts uh, the podcast Joy Uprising. Uh, that is a podcast that brings together her favorite revolutionary humans to honor joy in a chaotic world. Her debut novel, Juliet Takes a Breath, was a People Magazine best book of fall 2019 and an Amazon Best Young Adult Book of 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, Gabby Rivera. Hello. <laughs> so exciting. Um, I just want to take a moment and say, uh, I purchased your book, right? And I'm not quite done with it, but I think what prompted Brett reaching out is that I'd be like, babe, look, listen to this. And there were so many good quotes in this book thus far, right? There are so many thus far. And he was like, man, you, sh you should get her on BBB. And I'm like, nah, she wouldn't get on BBB. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So to have you here is super exciting. That is so fun. I'm so glad that you've picked up Juliet. I love that like paperback cover too. That's one of the first like newish covers that we have. And it just like, I love that it shows Juliet, like thick Puerto Rican mommy, like experiencing, like you said, joy and adventure. Mm -hmm. I'm so, so happy to be here with y'all. Yes. <laughs> so he, let's start with that um, because we were listening to your podcast and um, you went from joy revolution to joy uprising. Um, but can you tell the listeners why you chose joy as your topic? Sure. I mean, well, listen, Joy Revolution was like copywritten by like some white folks selling Joy for like $399 a session. So when I went to go official, it was like, and, and they came out like a week before me. So, so I had to switch it to the uprising and I'm like, okay, we're going to hold on to this for a minute. Uh, but Joy, right? Listen, I'm from New York. We do not come out of the womb joyful in New York. We come out of the womb ready to fight, protect ourselves. You know what I mean? Like we got a train face. We have a walk in the block face. Like Joy yeah. is something <laughs> that is new in, in, in who I am and in, in like cultivation of my identity. 
and where this iteration of it really like took off was in 2016 when um you know Trump took office right and we had like a whole like I feel like there was a whole ache in the culture when that presidency like came into power mm -hmm. and when I was traveling um and like you know talking about Juliet takes a breath and like you know navigating like going to schools going to colleges talking to kids talking to educators like yourselves there was this intense grief and um Whenever I was in conversation with folks, there was these circles and cycles of talking about our aches and our rage. And I felt like um, it just felt so heavy, you know, mm -hmm. it felt really heavy. And I found myself asking these, you know, folks like, okay, but where was your joy this week? Mm -hmm. And that would like radically shift the conversation. Um, and so many folks were like, you know, I haven't even thought about my joy in months or years or ever, right? Like some of the kids would be like, no one's ever asked me that before. And I just felt like there was something there, um, something really deep there. And it was also like a, a remembering, right? Like that we have been through worse together in our own different like ethnic racial struggles, like in our sexuality struggles. And when we come together, that joy that we build is like rebellion. It is freedom. It is power. Um, and so that's when I was like, oh, I should like, let's make a podcast, right? Everybody's making a podcast. Let's do it. Let's get this down. Let's make a memory um, that people can access forever, you know? Wow. You know, that is like so spot on because I remember I was still, I was an eighth grade teacher when Trump was running for office. And my students, they were um, knowledgeable enough to like talk about it and they'd come in and they'd be like, yo, did you hear what he said on the news about like um, Mexicans being rapists and all of that? And they would come in fired up. And I, at that moment would still be like, that clown isn't gonna get uh, elected. He's not gonna win. Don't even worry about this foolishness, right? And I will never forget the day after he was elected, they were literally like this on their desk looking at me. They're like, Mrs. Jacobson, you said he was not going to get elected. And we, that day, I remember it was like a day of mourning. Yeah, they were devastated. They were scared. They knew that, you know, they have undocumented family members or loved ones. Right. And it was like a day of mourning. And it was awful. I felt like man, I'm never going to tell these kids that nothing crazy like an election like that could ever happen because you just never know. You never know. Yeah, you know, I think um, there really is something powerful in what you said, talking about that joy, that joy piece um, and, and whether it was, you know, uh, Trump's uh, presidency or, um, you know, for me personally, um, the murder of, of George Floyd um, brought me to a point in life um, that I had never been before. Um, I had never dealt with, um, with anxiety mm. in a way where it was, um, it was localized. I could feel it in my body. Um, and I, you know, I, I've shared before on the podcast that the three weeks after um, 
uh, after watching that video, um, I woke up with a stomach ache every day. Um, and um, headache, couldn't focus, couldn't sleep, dreams uh, or nightmares, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, you referenced in, in the podcast that the only folk in New York, you know, who were offering that joy, right, uh, were, were preachers. And, and, and so, you know, I'm a person of faith. I, I was at church, though, and I couldn't find what I was looking for, even um, just in the songs that I would normally sing or the sermons that I would amen. Um, it, was, um, it was really, really heavy stuff. And so I, I do think about that ability, even over that summer, uh, as I began to participate and get a chance to lead some some local protest here, um, really the ability to come back and smile about something, mm. right? The ability to come back and, and find that purpose. So, so can you talk to us a little bit when you say joy, right? I tried to make myself happy, right? I, 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 I think <laughs> myself happy, but there is a difference there. Can you, you know, for you, what are, what are some of those distinguishing factors between happiness and joy? Because I know some of the challenges we all face uh, as a society have not gone away. So it's not like, yes. you know, yeah. it's not about what's happening. What, what is that joy piece for you? First of all, Maurice, like to share what you're sharing, I'm sure that what you felt was like a thousandfold uh, more intense, you know? And that is something that you probably still carry, will always carry, right? And when I talk to, when I think about joy and when I talk to folks about joy, especially during times like that, during uh, times where, you know, black folks are like brutalized or, or queer folks are like, you know, pushed out of their homes and into the streets, right? Like the joy, you cannot have like truly deep ancestral healing joy without being present in those moments, right? Like you're not supposed, we're not supposed to see something like what happened to George Floyd and immediately pivot into like jubilation, mm. right? Like I, when I talk about it and I think about it, it's like, yes, as a queer person, I have that pride parade at the end of the year in June, right? But I'll be damned if you try to come to my pride parade, but you weren't there for the protests and you weren't there for the kids in North Carolina who can't use the bathroom and you're not there for black trans women um, who are just trying to make their way in this world, right? Like if you're not showing up and, and pushing for change and you don't feel gutted by these inequalities, you do not get to participate in the party, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I think about joy, it is something that is very present in suffering. It is something that is very present in being a witness and not only just a witness, but like a force for, for pushing against these like various oppressions, right? And this ache and this inequality. Um, and so to me, that is the difference between joy and happiness, right? Because it is in that like, it is in that ache and that grief. When we heal from that, that is where our true joy can really come from. When we are connected by the spirit, when we are connected uh, in that commonality and that struggle in that coming together. Um, and happiness, right? Happiness is, this, is a fleeting thing. Happiness is great, right? Like we get to be happy too, you know? Um, but the difference between, for me, uh, a deep rooted sense of joy and feelings of happiness is that like in these times of, 
intense pain, right? In the, in the coming up of me coming up and seeing my, my queer ancestors get taken by HIV AIDS, right? And wondering, will I be able to have a life? Will I be able to thrive in this world, right? As one of these like hated groups of people holding on to that sense of self and holding on to the fact that like, I am worthy, I am here, I love myself. When I am too sad and too beaten down, I know that my community has my back. That's another element of the joy uprising where it's like, if you don't got it, we got it. You come here and be with us and together we will, we will surround you in that, in that love and in that joy. Mm. You know, um, as I'm hearing you, I think about part of the reason why Maurice and I started this podcast is we wanted a space where we could be super authentic. Um, and I think for me, joy is the ability to be my authentic self and even pushing the boundaries in spaces where people are like, you shouldn't be like that here. We're at work. And Maurice can attest to that, where I'm like, no, this is me, and I'm going to show up as me all the time. And just that authenticity piece is so important. And so when we came together to make this podcast, you know, it also is not only a place of like joy, but is also like community, right? I feel like it connects us to community. Um, and you've said that, you know, writing is more of a solitary space for you, but then podcasting is like where you can also come together and be community. Like, do you find more joy in one or the other? Or do you, which, which one do you really like? Oh my gosh, it's all part of the big like joy train, right? Because writing may be a solitary thing, but writing has also brought me out into the world and has me traveling or especially before the pandemic, right? Sure. Traveling into schools. I mean, there's this like, <laughs> uh, I got invited to a group of eighth graders and their social justice reading group in New York City. Aww. And it was this school right by, um, like, I think it's like near 42nd Street, but it's black and brown kids who run their own book club. And they read like James Baldwin, and Audre Lorde and Gloria and Saldua. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Listen, and when I came into the space, they had Juliet Takes a Breath on the wall. They had like topics to discuss, like uh, queer, trans, POC community, feminism, right? Like in their own handwriting as part of their own self-led learning. And so writing brings me into spaces like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then the podcasting is a way for, like one of my mentors is the Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas, right? A renowned black womanist theologian who runs, uh, you know, uh, part of the seminary, Union Theological Seminary in New York. And we talked about how God didn't create any binaries, right? So gender expression is part of divine spiritual joy. So some kid in Arkansas whose church is telling them that they are not worthy of that love gets to have a piece of it from a podcast that I made in my little house, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like all of these moments and all of these ways that like, you know, when I do the things that I love, that brings me into community. I'm part of community, right? Like some of my first protests were because my mother was a teacher. So we would protest for union benefits. Oh, wow. So I'm like five years old, like 
you know, <laughs> higher wages. <laughs> you know, like, that's hilarious. <laughs> so all of it, all of it, all of it together, together. like itself, you know, and it brings me to folks like you, um, educators, right? Like that's my my whole life has been in community with educators and getting to connect to the work that you're you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a big, it's a big love circle. Yeah. Can I say something real quick, Maurice? Cause she, I've noticed when I've heard you speak that you use QTPOC <laughs> yeah. and not LGBTQ. All right, did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Is that intentional? Can I ask that? Sure. I mean, listen, language is ever evolving. Right. right, 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 right. It upsets people. Like some people are like, don't call me a Latinx. Like, how dare you, you know? Sure, like, sure, sure. And there's rightful reasons. So mm-hmm. for me, LGBTQ, that's great. I use that too, you know what I mean? But to censor queer and trans people of color, right? Um, that's a, a, a grouping of, of letters that feels right to me. And other folks, one uh, are censoring black indigenous POC, right? So that's by POC. And I'm trying to like shift more towards that. Um, but yeah, like I feel like when it comes to people of color in our queerness, there's so much more that we have to navigate. And like, you know how people say big business or big pharma? When I think of big gay, like big LGBTQ, <laughs> Like they are so much more interested in like uh, backing shows like Will and Grace and making sure that like we can have fancy marriages versus making sure that black and black trans women are able to find employment um, mm-hmm. and also get protection from from the violence that they face. Mm-hmm. And so to me saying QTPOC just kind of is that extra like, hey, this is what I'm talking about. This is who who this is my first community is here. Yeah. And it's it's important because you like you said you it's centralizing a more specific group. And I I have gotten in debates with white feminists. They love and, that. <laughs> they will devils advocate you right into like who knows into the next Which, millennium. Yeah, I've never I understood. So frustrated. I end up so frustrated because they ignore kind of the the multiple layers, right? And it's like, yes, we can all be feminists, but there are issues that I have to go through and navigate just by being a Latina that you don't understand. And to really, there's just always this desire. And I don't know if, and perhaps it's trying to connect to other people, but it is so frustrating to me. And so that's something that stands out with when I hear you speak is that you definitely refer to QT PLC. And and for a lot of folks, that's not enough. A lot of folks are like, F that, I'm not QT PLC. I'm like Afro Oaxacan and mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, and I'm queer and that's it. I'm not gonna put myself into these other boxes. Sure. PLC. You know, I'm, I'm uh, gender queer Taino and you can, eat it because I'm not <laughs> claiming all these other politically correct things you know sure, so sure. so it's like who what do people want to be called how do they refer to themselves and you don't need to have an opinion on it <laughs> yeah. it you know it makes me think a lot about um you know some of the work of Kimberly Crenshaw and, on intersectionality right um that idea um and in fact we were sitting in a meeting the other day and I and I I 
called out, like, hey, I want to call out my maleness and my ability to, to say this and have it not be perceived as with attitude or whatever it may be, you know, and, and, and thinking about, uh, but also recognizing I'm the only black person in the room. So <laughs> I, I understand where I may have this one up here. There's a one, you know, something else that I'm dealing with here and some of those different pieces. Now, Gabby, you mentioned Will and Grace, and um, I'm a big TV fan, um, you know, um, particular things, you know, but um, one of the things, you know, obviously that I do think really plays an important role in society more than sometimes we give it credit for is media, right? And, and what people get to see, sometimes these are the only images people get to see. And so then they kind of define whole categories by, oh, well, gay, gay people are, you know, this white man who, you know, walks around and is, you know, flamboyant or what, whatever it may be, right? So obviously, right, you, you, you do some of that work in media with America. Oh my gosh. Can you, can you talk to me, talk to us a little bit and the listeners a little bit about how you got into the comic book scene and how that ties into that joy piece um, that you now are uplifting. I love that. Um, listen, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's this like, you know, there's this mentality that like we have to get a seat at the table we have to like claw our way into these circles. And really quick, right away, I realized when my gender presentation started changing from feminine to more butch, right? And like being chubby and being Latina and having tattoos and all this stuff, that those doors were not gonna open for me. I literally, I did a couple of years in the TV film industry in New York City. And I would literally have men at different levels be like, Dressing like that, you're not gonna get anywhere. You're too gay looking. Um, because nobody wants to have sex with you, you're not gonna move forward, right? Mm. And, these were, and some of these were men that were like thinking they were doing me a favor, right? Like letting me in on what I needed to do. And that's not just TV film, that was high school, that was this. Like right away I realized what an outsider I am. And as painful as that was, there was also a moment in my writing and my career and myself where I was like, I am also going to reject you. I do not want to be part of that. And so when mm -hmm. I wrote Juliet Takes a Breath, I didn't think it would be popular. I was like, I'm writing this for my little gay friends. I'm writing this from the girls from the block. I'm writing this for Puerto Ricans from the Bronx. Like, you don't care about us. I don't care about you. I'm writing this for my people, my community. And so putting that energy into Juliet and then look how she took off, right? Like indie published by me, then republished Penguin Random House, big up by Roxanne Gay and like picked up, right? And like shared and adored. That energy, that book brought Marvel Comics to me. Look I at that. <laughs> Look at that. I tell the kids that too. I'm like, you know, sure, you want to be mainstream, do whatever. You don't have to tell. If you are Nigerian and trans, but you want to tell a story about a little happy unicorn, tell that story, baby. <laughs> but if you want, whatever you want to do that is important to you, you don't got to worry about these other people. Those opportunities will find you. And so Marvel already had America Chavez as a character. She was a, in the team brigade. She was a young Avenger. She just never had a solo series. 
she was also already queer and had two queer moms, right? Like for, for what it's worth, that Marvel trademark, big Marvel did what, did a great job like offering this character to their, to their fans before I even came along. And so mm-hmm. when they were looking to do her solo series, well, <laughs> the white guys in charge actually did their research and came across my book. And so that's how they offered me America. Um, that's dope, Gabby. That's so dope. Yeah. And I love how you're like, I want to be at your table then. I'm going to make my own, right? That's essentially what you said. For Yeah, for what? Like, well, I'm going to be out of breath my whole life trying to catch up with y'all when all of your systems are in place to, like, keep me out and remind me of all the reasons why I'm not allowed there. You know what I mean? Like, and it's more interesting at my table. That's like when preachers started telling me that I was going to go to hell because I'm gay, I'm looking around and I'm like, well, I'd rather be with my people than over here with y'all. Hell's going to be a fun place, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) and so it's like, you know, that, that I never knew that that could be real, right. That I could be part of a bigger conversation that I could be accepted into uh, like mainstream author spaces and that I could get a publishing deal, right? That a Marvel comics would accept me. I never imagined that, but what I imagined was living my life on my own terms. Mm-hmm. That is the energy. Um, and with America, with America, right? First of all, that's my first comic ever. So page one, issue one is like, imagine if you just wrote something in your notebook. <laughs> Here it is, right? On the page. Um, I just wanted to have fun. My inspirations come from, I don't know if you guys have read the Love and Rocket series or uh, by the Hernandez brothers, which is like just epic uh, Cholo Mexican punk sci-fi storytelling. Some of it makes sense. Some of it doesn't. It's all wacky, zany. You never know what's happening next. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do a Marvel comic, I'm going to do it my way. And we're gonna go bananas <laughs> and we're gonna have fun. And she's gonna go to Sotomayor University. Um, we're gonna have Selena quotes in the, the tagline of the school. There's gonna be a Chavela Vargas amphitheater to Neil deGrasse Tyson science dorms. Like she's gonna go on a road trip with her best friend because girls of color deserve to be free. Like we're gonna do it up. Oh my gosh, Gabby, I have had, and I'm just going to say a hellacious week at work this week, and Maurice will tell you, but hearing you just be so authentic and you, and if you're like, I don't even want to be at your table, like it's making me emotional because part of the reason I became emotional at work this week was because I felt stifled. I felt like I had to shrink down my voice and I couldn't be 100% me. And that's so frustrating. I like, I literally cried. I was so upset. Um, But you know, this is so beautiful to see and so inspiring that, you know what, you didn't try to change yourself. You're, and you're going to be audacious with it. You're going to, you know, the fact that you got bitty bitty bam bam quotes or like everyone that you're mentioning, like, that's amazing. I listen, I appreciate that. But I also want to hold that you are working within a system, right? Like, yes, you are very much putting your heart and soul uh, into a very structured and rigid system. 
um, where, where the powers that be aren't always having your back. They are like often beholden to some other powers that be, right? Mm -hmm. And like, that is not easy. It is not easy. Like if you were queer, you could lose your job. And now if you talk about social justice, the two of you, maybe not where you are, but in other schools, y'all can lose your jobs for just mm -hmm. being those educators. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, when I talk to young people, some of them are like, well, I want to do science and I want to do like corporate stuff. How can I be myself? And choosing those paths, right? That's really complicated um, because then you're, your kind of your like, what's the right, right word? Your whole being in this professional space is being controlled by somebody else. Yeah. You know, and that, listen, I don't envy you. I don't it's envy awful. you. <laughs> and I do have a very supportive, you know, upper admin, but you know, like you said, it's a system at the end of the day. And they are, you know, with all the nonsense that's going with school boards being turned over and school board meetings being bombarded, like I definitely don't envy their their role and I empathize with them. Um, but it's still at the end of the day, you're right, as a system. But listen, um, if there was a world where the two of you could do run your own system of schools, I'm here for it. We coming in, I'll teach yeah, the Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, listen, you you have you have just spoken uh, you have just spoken something that has been on our hearts, um, and so uh, perhaps uh, your your purpose here today, you know, we thought we were interviewing you, but maybe you were sent to give us that word that that really is what we need to be that uh, uh, taken on. Um, so I, I appreciate that. I think. Um, it's definitely something that, 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 that we've talked about. Uh, we've sat down and written out some preliminary thoughts, yes. um, you know, so a Black, Brown, and Bilingue Academy, um, you know, it's, it's uh, again, may, maybe it's got to happen now. Maybe it's I, I think it does. I think it does. Um, so I'm going to step back real quick. Can I, oh, I'm sorry. Can I, can I get to uh, Juliet? Can I come back to Juliet? How much of this is autobiographical? Because it is so relatable right like even when you were talking about um some of the family dynamics and the little brother and all of that it's like man it's super relatable but there's a quote in here <laughs> that just is like oh my goodness and you're and it's when um she's like the little brother's like are you sure you're about to come out like are you sure about this sister and then uh Juliet says it has to be tonight brother I'll die if I don't speak up but they'll kill me if I tell them like, do you, how much of her, okay, so how much of that is autobiographical, and is that how you felt, perhaps, when you were coming into your own, and, and perhaps coming out? Yeah, I mean, listen, Julia Takes a Breath is pretty much, like, my story uh, of being 19, queer, Puerto Rican, inspired by a feminist novel, and I did go on an internship with a white feminist in Portland, Oregon. Now that particular author was lovely to me. The tension that her and Juliet has, uh, that Juliet has with her author wasn't what I had with mine. Okay. But the, the white author in Juliet Takes a Breath, Harlow, is representative of teachers and feminists and other white ladies that I have experienced in my life who do cause that tension, who do try to co-opt your struggle to make a point for themselves but then they want to go back to their pretty little house and live in all that privilege, right? 
So I will say that, but the family stuff, the coming out at the dinner table, the mom's reaction, the little brother, like most of that is me reflecting on my life growing up, you know, Puerto Rican in the Bronx with a big, goofy, loud family. <laughs> and, you know, my mom struggled with me coming out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I grew up also like Pentecostal evangelical. So oh, <laughs> I'm like, a, like, I'm like a healing church kid, you know what I mean? Like, um, and so, in that moment, when you're reading in, in Juliet's struggles, she also talks about how like, you know, she was supposed to be this good girl and like be this woman of God that they want her to be. And she is terrified of losing her family by coming out. But she also knows that living in this secret is gonna kill her. And that is how I felt. Um, okay. that is how I felt. Ooh, that quote right, jumped out at me. I, I like literally was telling Brett, like, oh my God, look, I have to tell you this quote because I can't <laughs> imagine being in that turmoil and in that situation. Like, man, that that's tough. Okay, Morris, I already know what you're going to jump in with. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, Gabby. Um, this is a podcast. We try to keep it a buck here. Um, I am a, so, so I'm, I, I am a, a, a preacher at a Pentecostal church. So, so I need you to understand. No, no, Gabby, listen, listen, though. Here's, here's, here's where, <laughs> here's, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. Um, so like doing this podcast, doing social justice work has, has really, first off, for me, it is very much so rooted in the idea that we each are created in the image of, of a creator and, and, and that there is value in every single human being, period. Whether I, whether I see uh, and agree with everything that, that, that this, right? Because I recognize the world is 7.3 billion people and I've had the opportunity to, to be in other countries and in other places and in other cultures and being bilingual has given me, um, you know, for black people as you get the invitation to the barbecue, well, listen, yo, yo, he, yo he visitado la comida, you know, yo he comido con, con otras personas. La carne uh, asada, Maurice, carne asada. Uh, yeah, exactly. I get the carne asada, um, deliciosa. Uh, pero I, 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 so, so full transparency for me, right? I'm sitting here um, and I love, I love being able to do this because um, it just gives me that opportunity to really reflect back again on like humanity, right? Like I can go and kick it with Gabby and Gabby, <laughs> I want Gabby to know she can kick it with me and know that I am that Pentecostal preacher, but I love Gabby. I love Gabby. I'm going to cry. I can't. And, and so, and so, no, no, no. I, I really, I, I really was like sitting here like, um, you know, again, cause, cause we, we all are, are bound to oftentimes our upbringing and, and the, the culture in which we have grown up and, and all of those things. And so I really have thought a lot about as I've done um, this podcast, it has been beneficial. And I was actually just thinking like, okay, man, if one of my church buddies listens to this podcast, what are they going to think? Right. And here's now what I hope that they think is, okay, wow, Maurice is exhibiting the love of Christ. That, that's, that's where we're supposed to be at. And so I, I, I don't know, like it's, it's, I certainly don't have time 
to sit here and process through all of it right now, Gabby. But but I just want you to know, um, like this 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 conversation for me is powerful. And and we were gonna have you um, meet my my niece has um, has come out. Um, she's not sure yet. You know, she's just she's she's kind of in a place where she's unsure. Um, but I know that somewhere in the back of her mind is, okay, I know uncle is, is one of those Pentecostal preachers. Mm. How's he going to treat me, his niece? Mm. And, um, and so this conversation is just a reminder that like, hey, she's community, she's family. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I, 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 there's not a question in there, but I <laughs> wanted to give that transparency to this conversation, especially since you named in particular being Pentecostal, right? Um, Listen, like, <laughs> there's something, so you're gonna make me emotional. There is something about, um, like, growing up in the church and experiencing the church as this place of, like, so much jubilation and protection and love and excitement, and then coming to a place in your identity where other people can be like, mm, something's not right about that kid. They're too feminine. They're a too tomboyish, or are they a girl? Are they a boy? And then folks who at one point were your protectors and like your, your, the bringers of that divine joy tell you that you are not worthy of it. And there is a casting out that happens that like, really shift something inside of you about if you are worthy of love and if you are worthy of care. And, and I never understood why preachers and churches feel the need to do that. Um, when, especially if you read like, you know, different gospels, like the gospels of Thomas and the gospel of Mary Magdalene, and you learn about what Jesus actually said and how even in the New Testament, Jesus said, let the children come to me. How is it that folks can like twist that up and then start closing doors on people? It is a lifetime that I and other folks, right? Queer folks, trans folks, that we spend putting ourselves back together and being like, oh, we are worthy. And not only are we worthy, we are that divine love. We have that in us, you know? And it's such a, it's, it's such a like brutal situation. And so to know that there are pastors and preachers like yourself who are not trying to do that, who are not trying to gatekeep joy and salvation. Like that is life-saving work. You have to know that that is life-saving work. Um, that is necessary work. And that is like, you're not only offering healing to that kid, but you're offering healing to anyone else that that kid encounters that has suffered that pain. Um, and so if your preacher friends are listening, it doesn't take much to keep the door open, but the harm that you do when you close it is like irrevocable. And there's nothing about Jesus and divine love that isn't abundant and doesn't have all the room. All the room is already there. You just gotta let people in and keep them in. Yeah, no, I, that's that's um, that's beautiful. Look, I think we got somewhere. Hey, look, this this isn't on our question question list. No, I just um, 
I think, um, yeah, I think, I think we have uh, still more work to do, right? And, and I guess that's, that's the end all be all, um, that there's still more work to do. And so, yeah, let's, let's continue the work. I, I, I definitely um, hope that I think, I think when we started this podcast, one of the, the ideas was that through people getting an opportunity to listen to open and honest communication, um, conversation, right? That, that they can find themselves somewhere in this conversation and be like, oh man, you know what? I was, I was, I was on that trend too, or I was over here and, and maybe now that I've heard that, maybe I can, you know, think about that uh, a little bit differently. So um, yeah, yeah. Hey, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment. <laughs> I listen to you all day, Gabby. Like, man, just even your voice is just like so reassuring. <laughs> like, man, it was anyway. I'm also at a loss for words. But just to kind of shift gears here, um, we might have to even bring you back to talk about this religion piece because I feel like that's a whole episode, and we really haven't talked about that, Maurice. And we don't, I don't think we have an episode on that. Listen, yes, it's, it's a it's a necessary conversation it definitely is because wherever you want to pivot let's pivot <laughs> because maurice you know i remember you also expressing some feelings when all of the george floyd things happened and some of the comments that you had been hearing from people that you were why do you yes uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah who 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 I, I, actually that's funny you mentioned that i talking to a guy last night, friend of mine, police officer, and talked about, um, you know, well, he was a criminal. And I just keep thinking to myself, they accused Jesus of being a criminal. They, they like, like, like on top of the fact that Jesus literally on the cross next to an actual convicted criminal says, you're going to come with me. So the idea that, that uh, or, or the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? The Old Testament law says stoner. And Jesus says, okay, any of you all who are perfect, you get to throw the first stone. So this idea that we, that we value and devalue people based on either identity or, or, or criminality, you know, whether or not they've committed a crime. That's not what it says. It says he so loved the world. So anyways, I could I could really put on my preacher voice. Obviously, you could see it. I heard it. I was like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could put it on, but you're right. We might have to come back to that. Let's, let's, I, I'm wondering though, right, because we invited you here to talk about joy and, and we just want to call this out. We saw a recent uh, Instagram post. That She's maybe like, <laughs> That maybe might be bringing some joy. Yes, a bundle yes. of joy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am six months pregnant. Right uh, now. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> do you know the gender? Oh, look at me! Look at me! Oh, I walked right into that one. <laughs> you did. That was, I, doing I, that a gender was... reveal party now. Is that was? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Uh, I do know, right? I do know. And there is a part of me that holds on to that um, as like, you know, just like out of respect for this baby inside yeah. of me. Um, it's a, it's like a, it's, it's a beautiful thing, right? Gender and, 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 and body parts and, 
biology, <laughs> all of it is like a beautiful thing. Um, but if my kid ever like decides that uh, their gender is different than what they were assigned, I wouldn't want them to listen to anything and be like, sure. damn, sure. you know, I wish mm -hmm. there had been another language. And so um, what I will say about this beautiful baby inside of me is that right now they're very similar, like bi biology to my mother, my grandmother, me. And there's something like really exciting about that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, there's like definitely uh, like ancestral feelings inside of me, you know, like when uh, I have this, oh my God, this like Afro-Dominicana, like doula Carmen out of Harlem and the Bronx in New York, who was like, what you are feeling in this pregnancy, you got to remember that you are also carrying what your great grandmother felt and what she experienced because you were in her what she was like birthing your mother, your grandmother. And so my, I was like, what? <laughs> what? You know, and like the legacy of that, the legacy of that um, is now inside of me and inside of this baby. And so I just feel like it is so tremendous. It is so beautiful. Um, and um, I'm super excited. I've wanted to be a mom, a parent my whole life. And, you know, for a good chunk of my coming into myself, uh, I didn't imagine that I could, right? Society doesn't really view butch women or butch uh, women of color with a lot of tenderness or with a lot of, regard to their ability to be mothers or parents. And coming up, there was no gay marriage. I never imagined that I would live long enough to have a family or be allowed to have one. And so at this moment in my life to be 39, as butch as I've always been, <laughs> and as soft as I've always been, and pregnant and in love, I'm like, Y'all thought you could stop me. <laughs> you thought you could keep this beautiful life for me, but look at it unfolding. And look at this legacy. Look at this gift that I have inside of me. Six months thriving and punching and kicking and healthy. And like, here we are. And I'm so excited, right? I'm so excited. I tell everybody, especially when I talk to high schools and colleges, I come out as pregnant and queer so that the kids can see me, right? Why do I... <laughs> mm. So they can know, so they can know that they are allowed, that it is possible that no matter what anyone tells them, you can build the family that you want. You can be part of a family, you know, like, I don't know what it is to be like a young black man in this world, but I imagine that seeing older black men thriving and, and, and being in community as an educator, as a preacher and being filled with love may give them also that hope that like their life won't be cut short, that they can make it through this and it will be so good. And mm -hmm. so for me, I feel like when I speak on who I am and what I'm experiencing, that allows other folks, even folks older than me, to be like, oh, maybe I can rest. Maybe I can not be afraid. And this next chapter, 50 to 60, is gonna be everything I've ever wanted it to be. 
you know um and we gotta have babies right because we got <laughs> you know the daydreamers and the revolutionaries and the soft-hearted vulnerable kids um with all their power and all their like fearlessness into the world mm. <laughs> y'all got me out here <laughs> Look, Gabby, you you, you spoke to it. You spoke to it a little bit. I had an experience the other day. A, an older Black woman walked into my school building uh, to substitute teach. And I told her that I was the principal. And her face was like... I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was that ancestral... I mean, you could see that she was... And then she said to me, that just made my day. You just mm. made my day. Because somewhere in her mind, right, she was like, no way. The, 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 have we gotten here to this point? And so it, that was a moment for me um, that was really like, oh, even just my presence um, here does help to tell that story. Um, Gabby, we don't, we don't, we don't want to keep you all day. So, so <laughs> is it is it time for us to close us out with our with our BBB tradition? So, this is what we do. I I wanted to keep talking about the baby real quick. I loved being pregnant. I loved it, and I I always tell my husband this: like, you don't know what it's like to just the connection, the bond. I know you love our kids, but it is How many so. Do you have? I have two, I have two babies. Um, and wow. Maurice has three and I adore them too. Um, do you want more? Look at me, do you want more? Do you think or? No. <laughs> Listen, it's just me, right? And unless all of a sudden I get some like Elon Musk money coming into this crib, <laughs> I wanna do this with ease, right? And so one kid I can do. But like two kids, I don't know. I'm going to need like a sugar mama and like a grant. Let me get that MacArthur. Like, <laughs> but no, no, like, and, and my boo has like two teenagers. And so I think all oh, together, yeah. we're this like kind of like bonus family that is built. Nice. You know? So I'm definitely good. Let's do this one at a time. Like, <laughs> I love it. Well, congratulations. I, I love just the... I love the whole idea of like pregnancy. And are you thinking about doing like an in-home birth or are you going to a hospital? Have you thought about it? Cause you said you had a do <laughs> Well, one thing I want to say is that she's kicking right now. So I think she's excited to be here with us <laughs> and is reacting to you all. Um, she's usually like a later afternoon kind of person. So we're um, turning up at you. Look at me using pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Um, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> Neither, but you were talking about just uh, more babies, the doula, the doula, the the birth plan. Um, listen, given my what they what they recommend, right? Because who who knew that at thirty nine you'd be considered a geriatric pregnancy? Let's mm -hmm. not even get into. And you don't even look thirty nine, to be honest. But okay. <laughs> And the sexism of the medical industrial complex, right? They want, they have all these things. We're checking my blood pressure. We're checking this, we're checking that. So I think given all of these conditions, it's going to be best for me to be in the hospital, but mm -hmm. they offer midwives and I have a doula. And so yeah. I think it's going to be the best of both. Also, they have like 
uh, birthing uh, labor pools, right? So there's gonna be like water and that's really important to me. Um, and so I'm trying to do both, you know? I mean, I wish I could be in like the campo in Puerto Rico, like surrounded by my tias and abuelas and just birth this baby on a banana leaf, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I'm a little far, Sacramento is a little far from Puerto Rico. So, so we're doing it the best that we can. Um, my mom is my birthing partner and she is over the moon. And who knew from that tense coming out moment in my 19s and my 20s that we turn around and be in this partnership together to bring a baby into the world. Mm. Well, congratulations. I am elated for you. It is a beautiful thing. And, you know, I got closer to my mom too um, after I had children. You know, I was a typical teen, kind of rebellious, shocking, right? Um, <laughs> kind of rebellious and got into some trouble. But once I got older and got, had kids, I think I understood her in a different way. Um, and it's crazy how life happens that way. Or I find myself doing and saying things that she said that I saw up and down. I'm not going to say that. Or I'm not going to be like that. And, <laughs> and I'm that. <laughs> um, all right. And then one final little quick little question that Maurice wanted to ask about West Coast versus East Coast and the Super Bowl performance. <laughs> what's the question? So, so, Gabby, I don't know if you got a chance to see the halftime show, um, but since we are all in that same uh, age bracket, um, I got to ask you, you're out on the West Coast now, but you're from the East Coast. So, you know, they honored the West Coast hip hop, you know, but talk to me from your perspective. And I don't even know if you like hip hop, but, but oh again, being in the Bronx, I'm making some assumptions, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> East Coast or West Coast hip hop, let me know where you're at. Listen, coming up, you couldn't tell me nothing. It was East Coast all day. It was... KRS-One, it's the locks, it's like, you know, <laughs> DMX, oh my God, DMX, like New Jersey, right? Queen Latifah, like you couldn't tell me nothing. Um, like New York hip hop has that swag, that energy that like gets you through the block and the train, like, and then I come out here to the West Coast uh, a couple of years ago. And at first I'm like, man, they don't know nothing. They're playing, what is this like too short business? And what is this like E40? And now I'm out here like tap, tap, tap in, you know, like, <laughs> bitch, you know what I'm saying? Like, I am, I love it. I love it. I, I'm here for like that Snoop Dogg energy. Like I, I think in New York also, we did have a big love for like Snoop Dogg. We did have a big love for Dr. Dre. There were some folks, even like Atlanta, uh, Jermaine Dupree and So So Deaf, their New York radio did play a lot of that too. Um, and, and even coming up in that East Coast, West Coast, I loved Biggie and I loved Tupac. They were so important. Uh, they were important rappers and storytellers, right? And, and culture creators. And so there is a tremendous amount of love for both. I could never pick a side at this point. Okay. Like, like that, don't do, they, that's, that's them. That's capitalism. That's the music <laughs> industry. Like hip hop started off as a party in the park. And to me, that's always where it's going to be. It's going to be break dancers and b-boys. It's going to be folks selling CDs and tapes out of their cars. Like it's young black kids telling their stories 
Um, it's young Afro-Latino kids putting that like salsa beat, that like <laughs> dembo beat on there, you know, it's all of us putting our flavor into it. Also, I will say I could not, I could, I could do without Eminem. <laughs> Eminem is so mad that people won't she name him. So <laughs> no, he's all, he, Eminem, fine. But Eminem is so mad that black people won't name him as one of the top five greatest rappers of all time. And it's like, my man, let it go. That's never, I have never gone to a black folk barbecue where people are bumping Eminem. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I wanna openly declare my opposition to this statement. I am, a, I'm for him. Uh, my no. knees are weak. My arms are heavy. Okay, there's vomit on my sweater. It's my spaghetti. spaghetti. Uh, anyway, would you call him top five though? Would you say he's top five? No comment. Exactly. Exactly. I would my, my blackness will not allow me to answer that question. I'm not. See, look, I'm not saying he doesn't have bars. I'm not saying he is not incredibly skilled. I'm not saying that he hasn't been on some of the best hip hop tracks of all time, right? But take a step back you do not have to be the top in a culture that is not yours <laughs> you know like okay but but in general east coast and west coast forever <laughs> don't forget that dirty south don't forget the caribbean don't forget panama like <laughs> is out here by the way shy town is out here yes yes could be that chicago <laughs> look at it you can't see his face but he is still mad about Eminem real quick <laughs> and I'm like I'm with you Gabby I'm with you because, but you know what this is why Maurice and I get along because we can argue and disagree with each other but it's all up at the end of the day because we've gotten into some heated debates heated and I think the preacher in them just is a uniter you're just a connector for me. <laughs> it is that's who you are and it drives me crazy sometimes but it, I've accepted that that's who you are <laughs> Gabby it has been an absolute pleasure having you uh here with us on Black Brown and Bilingue um it is our tradition um that we always ask our guests to just leave a final thought uh, if there's one thing for sure you want the listener to walk away with um, what, what would that final thought be? Palante. Siempre palante. Puerto Rican slang for always moving forward, always moving together with your people. That's how we got to do this. That's how we find our joy. And that's how we thrive. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us on Black, Brown, and Bilingual. I'm still in awe. I didn't even think when, when Brett said we're going to get her on the show, but you're lying. Quit playing. <laughs> so thank you so much. It is an honor to have you. Uh, I love being here. We will be in, we are in community and we will talk again, y'all. Have the best, have a blast and good luck with everything Black, Brown, and Bilingual. All right. Thank you. G Gabby, I'm, I've, I've got a gift that I'm going to send you. Um, for for this child um, that I think uh, is, is, is it's yeah, I got a gift that I'm going to send you. So just know you got some coming from, from Maurice McDavid from over in <laughs> Illinois, okay? Just don't be sending okay. me no bomb spaghetti, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Right, Take care. <laughs>